A Thurston County football star has been missing for more than a year. Detectives are continuing to search for Investigators him. found the young man's car with his wallet and his cell phone inside it. We're not certain that he's dead. We're not certain he's alive. It's what keeps me up at night. Totally out of character for him. Shindelman's family won't give up looking until they get answers. Just desperate to know he's okay. From Sasquatch Productions, this is Hide and Seek. The Investigation of Logan Schindelman. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys. At the end of episode two, you heard a conversation I had with a couple who experienced a very unusual encounter with a man they saw walking alone down a dead-end gravel road. This happened on May 20th, the same day Logan's car was impounded, that the young couple was hanging out with their family at one of the relative's residences, and as the night passes, the couple eventually heads home, leaving around 1 a.m. on the 21st. Now, before we dive back into that call, I need to explain how this incident is even relevant. Remember Carlos Cerrone, the truck driver who claimed to have seen someone jump out of the passenger side door and run across I-5 into the woods? Well, a good friend of mine and supporter since day one, Mayor of Tenino, Wayne Fournier and I decided to go back to the marker where Logan's car had been abandoned and reenact Cerrone's record of events that took place on May 20th, 2016, excluding my car rolling out onto I-5. And I want to point out that Wayne also came with me when I interviewed Eric Roberts in season one. I appreciate Wayne helping with this because little did I know before arriving to mile marker on I-5, Wayne had just gotten off a 24-hour shift, completed a workout, and was on his way home to go to sleep when I called. But that's Wayne for you. He's that type of guy that when you call, he'll be there. Lo and behold, everyone, it's Wayne Fournier. What's going on, James? Wayne and I drove to I-5, parked my vehicle on the right shoulder near milepost 92, where Logan's car was assumed to be parked before rolling into traffic. Um, damn. Yeah, there's not much room. So whoever was here, if you had the driver's side door open, that would easily... You can easily hit that with a with a vehicle. I mean, we're not talking. How what's, what would you say the distance is? A couple feet. <laughs> Witness says Carlos says he sees from that side, opposite side, like a trucker jump from this side to this side where you're sitting outside that door and hop into the woods. A couple of takeaways I want to point out: when Logan's car was picked up, Detective Bill asked Bill and Jenny if they had noticed any new marks or damage to the vehicle that was not there prior to Logan's disappearance. At first glance, the Chrysler had some small scratches with paint scraped off the front left bumper of the driver's side. This came from colliding with the middle barrier. When further observing the vehicle, Bill states that there is also a long scratch on the passenger side. The scratch appears to be two, maybe three feet long. Starting from above the front right wheel well, it runs horizontally towards the back passenger door. We know that the damage on the left or driver's side of the car came from the barrier. So then, where did the lung scratch on the passenger side come from? If it's in park, you know, he's going five miles an hour, and he hits the, the barrier on the right side of the road, he bails out, it jumps up. I mean, there's a lot going on, and it's still got some forward momentum. But why is, why is anybody jumping out of a moving vehicle? Right. And there's something going on there. If you were to jump out of, I mean, let's say Logan chose to leave on his own accord. Why, why would he do that? It's just like if he's going, if he's trying to just. I, I want to start a new life. Own disappearance. Like if he just wants to start over. Yeah. Why, why, why do that? Why jump out of the car like that? 
When Wayne and I were along the right shoulder of I-5, there was hardly any room for Wayne to exit the vehicle. I asked the question in episode one, did Logan's car need to be in neutral or drive in order for it to start rolling across lanes of traffic? All right, so we're gonna throw it in neutral and see if it rolls. Based on our test, when putting the vehicle in neutral and sitting there, the vehicle did not roll forward. I even waited and allowed some semis to pass by to see if the draft, when semis were passing, were able to pull my vehicle forward. It wasn't possible. But when my vehicle was in drive, my vehicle rolled forward, topping out at four miles per hour. Which I want to see what it looks like. And that's steering wheel somewhat straight. We can easily see at four miles an hour if it hit the guardrail and went right yeah, or left. So when studying that long scratch on Logan's car, while trying to make sense of why someone would abandon their vehicle, here's my guess as to what caused the new damage. Knowing Logan's car had to be in drive in order to coast forward, the car could have brushed against the barrier on the right side, which caused the scratch Bill stated as new. Now, the height of the scratch on the vehicle appears to match the height of the barrier. The contact with the barrier could have redirected the vehicle, sending the Chrysler towards the center of I-5 into traffic, explaining why the witness in episode one says, I would say, just to take it off again, I w I'd never call it merge. Because it was not at an angle to merge. It was at an angle to cross the lanes of traffic to come across us, not to merge into us. To make your own assessment, if you go to the Hide and Seek Instagram or Facebook page, you'll find I've posted pictures of the scratch and of when Wayne and I were along I-5. But what does that say about the individual that was in the car? Why would they leave the gear and drive? Or was that an accident? Was the person unconscious or unaware that the car was scraping against the barrier and eventually rolling back into traffic? If someone is in the car while it's crossing lanes of traffic, do they wake up to the people around them honking their horns? Could the individual suddenly wake up and in the state of disorientation flee the vehicle? It would explain why they went out the passenger side door instead of the driver's side. Because remember, if the vehicle is rolling into traffic from right to left, then the driver's side would be hit first by oncoming traffic. So in order for me to test this theory, I went over to Ginny's house to look at Logan's Chrysler. I wanted to try jumping from the driver's seat to the passenger seat and then out the door. The theory is maybe somebody jumped out from Oops, this side, right? So somewhere from here to here. Yeah, you're gonna hit a lot of stuff on the way up. Yeah. I'm 6'1", Logan was at 5'11". Just about 6'5", he'd say 6'5", and a half. Okay, and okay. I, I need to yeah. stop The that. results going from one side to the next took me within a matter of three seconds. One of the other theories I want to address is that the person attempting to jump out of the car when crossing from the driver's seat towards the passengers somehow pressed the brake on accident when pushing off the floor and at the same time bumping the gear shift with their knee into drive. That's a bit of a reach in my opinion. Or was this person in the passenger seat the entire time, even before it rolled into traffic? Would it mean that someone else was driving the vehicle? It's hard to make sense of, I know. But let's continue where Wayne and I head into the woods. When you walk into the forested area, you'll navigate through around a lot of thick brush, trees, branches, and uneven ground. Approximately 15 to 20 yards in, you'll come across railroad tracks. Okay, so that wasn't that difficult. 
And that's not difficult at all to just do what we did, especially if it's not wet. But if you're abandoning that car, you can understand why traffic's heavy, why he would jump to the passenger side, yeah. out the passenger door. Yeah. You'd get that. You understand that now. But where are you going from here? Case it took wrong. Wayne and me maybe three minutes to go from I-5, push through the brush, and arrive at the tracks. Once at the train track, you'll notice that it runs parallel with I-5 for several miles. If you follow the track heading north, eventually it nears a truck stop. Going back real quick to the first eyewitness in episode 1, the woman said she thought she saw Logan's car at the truck stop before later seeing it roll into traffic. One thought I had was, what if there's someone waiting at the truck stop for whoever is dumping Logan's car? But the theory doesn't have much grounds to explore just yet. If you cross the railroad tracks and trek another 20 yards through the dense forest-like area, you'll eventually come to the narrow two-lane Case Road. If you're, if you're trying to get rid of the vehicle because you're responsible, you're just saying, hey, meet me on the other side. I'll go dump it over here. Why not just park it? Some, on the other, yeah. why, why not park it on Case Road as, as opposed to I-5? I'm going to push through that. I just want to see what that looks like on the other side. I made my way to Case Road. Oh, that's a drop. that case road one thing you'll notice when you're on case road is that it isn't well exposed people won't easily see you nor can it be seen from i-5 from the area logan's car was found the area is too dense with trees and brush between them if you keep walking approximately two maybe 300 yards north you'd eventually come to a gravel road on the left side this road is called Poland Road Southwest. As you turn down Poland Road, you're greeted by a large yellow dead-end sign. There's no reason for someone to drive down this road unless you either live there or visiting someone who does. One of the things that Detective Bill does during his investigation is that he asks State Patrol for any unusual reports or call-ins near the area Logan's car was abandoned. After putting in the request, Detective Bill is notified that on May 21st, around 1 a.m., a male is reported to have been walking around partially naked, not far from where Logan's car had been abandoned. And this is where the strange encounter takes place. Here's what the couple remembers about that night. Best as you can recall, uh, let's go back to May 21st, 2016. We were coming from Lindsay's parents' house. They lived down that road, uh, and we were headed just headed home. I think, I, I don't remember, we, we were just headed home. We lived either in Olympia or out here. So you guys are heading home from Lindsay's parents. And take me back, what do you guys remember? Well, really, it was it was a pretty short thing. You know, we were just driving along, driving home there. And we saw just this guy walking down the road, just a gravel road there. And it looked like he didn't have, didn't have any pants on. It looked like his pants were over his shoulder there. And it looked like he had a dark hoodie on. And he was just walking, you know, walking away from, uh, I think it's Case Road there that he was walking away from. And just walking down the gravel road, which obviously at that time of night is super abnormal. And then, yeah, we just drove past him, and I just thought, oh, that's super bizarre, so I just called in. Is he walking towards you or away from you as you're driving past him? He was walking towards us. He was on the left as we were going towards Case. He was on the left side of the road, and I don't recall him looking up at us or anything like that. So no eye contact? No, no eye contact, no. Shoes, socks? Uh, I don't remember if he had shoes or socks on. But he definitely didn't have, didn't have any underpants on or underwear on. I, you know, I didn't look close enough to see whether or not he had underwear on. Uh, I just noticed he didn't have any pants on, you know, 
He yeah. may have had like a longer bag years type sweatshirt, but it, it looked like he may have had that. And this is one o'clock in the morning, so it's dark out. You having your lights on. Can you definitively say skin color? Was it white, brown, dark? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't say for certain. Maybe like I would say maybe a lighter color. His legs looked, you know, appeared to be lighter color. Okay. Uh, they didn't appear to be super dark. So. So as you're approaching, how far in the distance, I mean, you're driving down this road and you start to see this figure kind of appear? Yeah, there's some curves in a certain area there. And we came around a curve and he was just right there on the left. And we just we just drove right past him. So it's not like we saw him coming from like a quarter mile away or anything. It was like right around a curve there. Have you guys heard of any kind of drug houses in the area or anything like that? You know, I really... I really haven't, no. Yeah, I'm not aware of any any super sketchy houses or anything like that. No. There is really, on Poland Road, only about maybe 10 houses on the three miles of Gravel Road. It's a pretty remote location. If you're walking away from Case Road, up Poland Road, it was, past, it was just at the house, the second house on your right. The people there kind of like have some chickens in a side yard. And it was just like, he was just kind of walking right there. We assumed that he was from one of those houses because there's just literally no one out there. So we assumed he was a resident. I've never heard of anybody since your guys' report. I haven't heard of anybody else coming across that individual. Okay. And I'm still trying to figure out what what, what someone at one o'clock in the morning is walking down the road like that for. Absolutely. That, yeah, that's why I called 911 there. So, because they came out too, and I don't think anybody saw this individual. Okay. Because I, I, looking at the report, they came out, but no one, they never came across this gentleman walking down that road. So I'm trying to figure out where is he going? Is it one of these houses? And, sure. Uh, yeah, that I, makes sense. I'm just trying to figure out why, why something like that. Unless this person is tweaking and they're just, you know, they're coming from a house to, you know, trying to get home, which would be one of the houses on the sides or it's further up the road when it intersects with Labrador. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't close to Labrador. It was actually a lot closer to Case Road. Yeah. Um, I'd say it was within a hundred yards or 150 yards of Case Road. Just those initial so- when you go down there tomorrow, mm-hmm. driving on the gravel road, Poland Road, you will pass two homes on the right. And literally the last home you can see, it has like a little yard with chickens in it. He was right there. That's oh. right where we saw him. Yeah. So okay. look for the chicken yard tomorrow on the right and that you'll know right where we saw him. Yeah, there's usually like cone, cones in that driveway, like traffic cones, okay. um, and so you'll know it, you know it by that. It was kind of like David said. We went around the corner, and it was like, "Whoa, there's a guy there!" And then we were past him in just like five seconds, and it was like, "Whoa, he didn't have pants!" And it's like, a, like in the morning. I wonder if he's okay. And then David's like, ah, "I don't think it's such a good idea to." maybe get out and try to contact him. And so we just kept driving, but we called 911. Did you ever get a follow-up call from 911? Yeah, actually, uh, I don't think I did within a few days, but I think it was a, I think it was like uh, maybe even a half a year or a year later, I got a call from a detective. It may not have been that long. It's been a while, but I did get a call from a detective just asking me some questions about it. Hmm. Do you remember which detective it was? I don't remember, no. He just said that he was trying to follow up on any leads, on anything that may have happened in a night. No yeah. I grew up there, and me and David frequently go there to visit my parents, and I've never seen anything like that. I mean, it was very unusual. 
And we have yet to see anything else like that. Yeah, I wish if I would have known that maybe, I don't know, I kind of, I guess I wish I would have stopped and talked to him, but I, you know, I didn't know there was anything else going on at the time. Right. So. Well, you know, when you come across a guy like that, no, thank you. Yeah. Right? You don't know what their mental state is. You don't know if they have a gun or, sure. you know, if they're on some sort of drug. The sheriff's office did perform a search and rescue mission nine days after filing the missing person report. This took place on June 1st, 2016. I reviewed the search and rescue mission data sheet. The operation included four bloodhound search dogs, four members from Pacific Northwest Trackers, and three members from Thurston County Washington Explorer Search and Rescue, and Civil Air Patrol. Now, based on the sergeant's report, it appears there was a scent, and it states non-specific human, found by all four dogs where the vehicle was believed to have been located before rolling into traffic on May 20th. The scent traveled through the woods to the railroad tracks, but that's where the scent was lost. The human trackers also agreed that there was a disturbance in the same area, but no other indications were found. None of the teams reported any evidence of travel onto or near Case Road Southwest, or the train tracks that ran parallel between Case Road and I-5. They couldn't determine any other indications other than going from I-5, where the vehicle was abandoned, towards the train tracks. The findings from the search and rescue mission report tell me that Carlos's testimony does seem to be true based on the scent and the tracker saying that there was a disturbance in the same area. Now, while during the search, they did come across a number of dead animals and found a black baseball cap with letters FMF in large white print. I'll share it on my social media page. And that was all that came from the search and rescue operation. But there was something that stood out to me. Before they began the mission, law enforcement had to seek permission from homeowners allowing them to search on their property. And these properties appear to be decently large. They appear no smaller than an acre per lot. It's a lot of land. I was reading someone's handwritten notes on a map showing the areas they were searching for. The map is color-coded to show the parcel boundaries of who owns which property. The notes show who's given permission to law enforcement to search on the property and who hasn't. In one area, it states, Wetlanders LLC, right next to their name, permission, yes. Another property colored in pink, owned by Mink Timber Company Incorporation, permission, yes. And lastly, in green, a family's name along with their phone number, permission, no answer or reply. So, it appears one of the property owners didn't sign off on law enforcement searching on their property. Odd, right? Detective Bill requests a second search and rescue mission on June 18th, 2016, but this time it was primarily in the area of Pollen and Case Road. This area was searched by eight canine units, four from German Shepherd search dogs, and four from West Coast search dogs. This particular search lasted approximately three hours, but unfortunately, nothing came from it. Now, during this search, law enforcement did make contact with the property owner of the driveway where the mysterious man without pants was walking either into or in front of when the couple drove past. When speaking with the property owner, law enforcement explained the reason why they were searching the area. The owner did state that they had heard about Logan's disappearance, but did not know about the incident with the man on Pollen Road. Now, when requesting the owner's permission to search around the property, the case file states that the owner's response was the following. It would not be a good idea going through the brush with their son living next door because he has PTSD. The owner ended the conversation by saying that they would keep an eye out for Logan. Just before ending the search and leaving for the day, the deputy contacted the same property owner and asked if they would walk with law enforcement on their property. The owner replied that he was not particular about doing that. 
So I wanted to ask the family as to why they weren't keen on the idea. Hello? Hey, is this Mike? Yes, sir. I explained who I was and the reason for my call. It's about Logan Schindelman. Oh, the, okay, the kid who disappeared. Yes. I don't know anything about that except for, uh, kind of what's been on, I know there's posters and stuff, and I know he was supposed to be off the, fr- uh, his car was left about, well, right across the freeway from our house about a half mile away. Right, on I-5. Mike proceeded to tell me that, due to age and his memory, he wouldn't be the best person to speak with, but that his wife would be the go-to person. My wife's seen that man. That's what I was trying to tell you. I haven't, I haven't got any information at all, but if you would like, I can let you talk to my wife. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, she, she seen the young man, and, it was, and he was with a... I'll let her tell you, because I'm getting older and I start to forget stuff. Okay. Mike proceeded to pass along the phone to his wife. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, and, and interesting that you're talking about the incident that you're talking about. Apparently that happened, I talked, spoke to the sheriff a couple years after the fact. And apparently this person that was seen naked or partially naked was seen like right out in front of my house on the road. And they never even talked to us about it. But anyway. I know that Thurston County Sheriff's Office, when they did the search party, um, yeah. I know they came out near your guys' area and they looked at a lot of different properties out there or at least yeah. around that area. One of the things that I have the case, when I read the case file, it says that they had asked Mike if they could search around the area. With the cadaver dogs. With the cadaver dogs. And when they were trying to uh, get permission to search on the property, that Mike had advised that it would not be a good idea to go through the brush since your son was living next door who had PTSD. Yes. Is that, okay, that's... Well, I mean, there was there was, there was that reason, but also um, when my husband was speaking to the, the, the cadaver dog team... It was out here in our driveway, and they, what they really wanted access to was the property behind our house, which we don't own, and so we couldn't give them access to that. It's like, even if they walked across the couple hundred feet from Poland Road to the back edge of our property, it was all heavily wooded, mm-hmm. um, but we, we couldn't give them access to that anyway, and it's like, you can look around in our yard, but you can, you know, there's nothing here to see. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been all over our property. Uh, for years, and so you know, if there was anything out there, you know, we're out there with their you know, with our dogs and whatnot. Um, but we don't own the property behind us. We don't own all that property under the power lines or between us and the power lines. It's all cleared off now in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't that big of a deal at the time. Yes, my son was here. Um, he's a marine, and was going through stuff. And, and it's like we couldn't sure. just have someone just roaming around and whatnot um we did take it upon ourselves to go out and search our property because ours isn't so bushy and brushy that we can't you know maneuver around and look at it been all over it you know just in case you know there was something out there but um but yeah we did we did let them because they just wanted to go straight back across but then they would have had to stop at the property line and when i look at your guys property i see your guys house right now but then there's a house like that's kind of it looks like it's a house but it's like there's like a trail that takes you back to this house and the yeah is that your is that where yeah. your son was staying that's that's ours um as well we just use that for equipment for working mm. out in the field in the forest and, and and whatnot and we check on it regularly okay. i don't even know if it was done i don't even know if it was done being constructed back at that time gotcha and where if, when i'm looking at your house i'm trying to see where your son when you guys said that he was living in the back 
where his house would have been or where his, I don't know if it was a manufactured home or mobile home or trailer. No, no, we don't have any of those. And not be a good idea to go through the brush with their son living next door. That is that inaccurate, or was he living? With... Well, it, 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 I mean, my husband said that at one point, but that wasn't like the big reason because it's about Tom being here and, the, and his PTSD and having people roam around the woods. It was more about where the where the cadaver team was with my husband at the time uh-huh. was right in our driveway, and they wanted to go straight back to the back of the property at the time. It was heavily wooded because they grow, you know, timber behind us. Right. At the time, I mean, there were 50, 60, 100 foot trees and it was heavily wooded. And they could have walked to the back of our, proper, back of our property line, uh-huh. but that, that's where it would, it would have had to stop. They wouldn't have been able to go any further because that's not our property back there. Gotcha. So, okay. I mean, that was kind of, the, it was, the, you know, they had a conversation. It was like, well, yeah, you can walk from our driveway back here right behind our house, but you can't go anywhere from there. Yeah. So, and that seemed to be where they wanted to go was more in the property behind our house. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very, you know, it's a very odd to ever find someone go down a road like that for the intentions other than I'm going home or to a friend's house or to a family member's house. Um, right. Who knows? Maybe some kid drove down the road because they were going to smoke some pot and you guys never <laughs> came across somebody like that before. Do you know or have you ever heard of anybody around that area having to, you know, being more of a sketchy individual where maybe drugs were involved or they were a dealer or uh, anything like that. No, okay. no. It's funny that you should mention that because someone mentioned and on Facebook, um, on one of the pages about Logan just in the last couple of months, someone mentioned that when the sheriff responded to the, the, the call about, you know, a naked person running around out on Pollen Road, that they didn't pay much attention to it because they were just... They refer to people down here as drug dealers and druggies, and I it blew my mind because there's not a single person that lives down here that even remotely fits that description. So I'm not sure where that came from, mm-hmm. but the sheriff apparently just kind of blew off the naked person at that point because they just assumed it was some druggie. A little, a little disappointing, sure. you know, like I said, to find out that there was a naked man running around outside in front of the house, and the sheriff never bothered to tell me about it. Um, it, I don't remember exactly the time frame from when Logan went missing because there wasn't like a big, no one, t- we didn't know that he was missing, but it was very shortly after that, that my husband and I, we live on Pollen Road and we were headed into some water lacy for whatever reason. We were headed north on Case Road and we were right by the, just past railroad tracks there, just north of Pollen Road. And there was a young couple and the young man fit Logan's description. Like I said, I didn't know that Logan was even missing at that point. Didn't put two and two together. But fitting his description and it caught my eye, one, because we don't see a lot of families just walking on the side of Case Road. And we certainly didn't, don't see many people of color out here. And so it caught my attention and it was him. It fit his description. He was with a young girl, um, and they had a small child, a very, very young, as in he was carrying the small child, and they were walking north on the Case Road. What year, or do you remember what month this took place? You know, when I think back, I want to say it was just a couple, what would you say, within a week or two after? It was just like within a, a couple of weeks after Logan's disappearance. Oh, really? Okay. And you provided this information to the sheriff's office? No, because I didn't know anything about it at the time. Oh, okay. I, I, I knew nothing about, if I mean, there was no, there wasn't like, you know, the regular, we have a missing person in the area kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't find, even find out about the car being abandoned or anything until, I don't know, a week or so later. And even then, a law enforcement and, and no one was making a big deal about it. It was just like, oh, there was a car abandoned. Oh, the owner's not there. And 
and they towed it away. Yeah. So, uh, but I just, I just remember, but, but it, it never dawned on me that it might be someone who was missing anyway, because they were just walking up the road. Right. It, it's not uncommon for us to see people using the railroad tracks as a way to get from one place to another. We've seen other people come out of the tracks area. Yeah. It's like they use the tracks. So, like I said, I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what they were wearing at this point. Did you then share that information with the sheriff's office at that point? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. Okay. No worries. I, I was also told that you came across a cell phone. I did. Uh, um, I, I, like I said, it was probably maybe a month later. I don't remember how much after Logan's disappearance. I had called the sheriff out. It was, first, we, it started, we found a, my husband and I walk a lot. We found a backpack just past our house. Um, someone had dumped it. it. turned out to be someone stole from a student. No big deal. But then two days later, my husband and I were walking down on Case Road between Pollen Road and the railroad tracks and came across a cell phone in the grass. It was in the ditch in the grass. And it was kind of badly beaten up. I called the sheriff and, and, and turned it over to the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Because I just thought it was odd that, that a cell phone would be... Because usually when people drop cell phones or whatnot, they go back and get them. Sure. <laughs> they don't just throw cell phones out the window. Right. So, But that's all I know about the cell phone, too. And it was probably, I would say, about 100 feet north of the edge of Pollen Road. Having a better understanding why the owners chose not to take the law enforcement beyond their property line makes sense, because it's not their property. It wasn't long after our call that Mike called me back and wanted to express that I was welcome to their property anytime and would be happy to take me wherever I wanted to go, as long as it was on his property line. He was also a little displeased that the case file states his son had PTSD. Mike said multiple times that his son doesn't have PTSD. Now, the cell phone that was found by Mike and Lindsay is odd, along with her saying that she remembers seeing Logan's picture and believing that the male standing alongside the female holding a child looked like Logan. I'm going to reach out to Detective Frawley about the cell phone that was turned in and see if there was anything that came from it. I imagine that law enforcement can't just access someone's phone without their consent. But what about a situation such as this, where someone turns the phone in as lost and found? I'll let you guys know what Detective Frawley says. Now, considering everything we know thus far, I believe that someone did jump out of the vehicle and ran into the woods, just as Carlos said. I don't think that someone parked the car on the shoulder, left, and then the car started rolling into traffic by itself. Was it Logan who abandoned the car? I don't believe so. Now, I'm going to circle back to the items that were inside the car. Something I haven't mentioned yet about Logan is that he had a peanut allergy. As you may know, reactions can worsen over time with increase in exposure to allergen. When I spoke with Ginny, I asked how severe it was, specifically in the year or two before he had disappeared. Ginny's response was that he was severely allergic and that, in her words, he'd almost throw up if he even smelt peanuts. When you look at the pictures taken by Detective Beale on May 26th, One of the Nature Valley granola bars was open and appears to have been eaten, while the other still sealed. Ginny told me that one of the wrappers was under the seat. In the case report, it was stated that both wrappers were in a paper bag. This could be a separate wrapper that she is talking about, or it could be that one of the wrappers fell out of the bag when Bill drove the car from the towing yard to their house. She also said that she was confident that the two Nature Valley bars did not contain nuts based on the wrapper that she had found under the seat. Well, when I zoomed into the picture that Detective Beale had captured of what was in the brown paper bags, you can barely see or read what specific type of granola bar it is from the popular brand because of the way it was torn open. But when I zoomed in on one of the pictures, just short of where the wrapper had been torn, I can read the flavored description. Salty nut. 
I researched the various products the popular brand makes, and while many of their products do not actually have nuts in their ingredients list, each product includes the disclaimer, contains allergens, may contain peanut ingredients. If someone has a severe peanut allergy, they're probably going to grab something else for a snack. Logan likely wouldn't have ate this granola bar. This leads me to believe he didn't bring those bars into the car, nor did he purchase them. That doesn't mean that the brown bags weren't already inside the car and used by the person responsible for storing the Nature Valley bars and cash. Or the person responsible could have stopped by a convenience store, purchased the items, maybe including the Swisher Sweet, received $24 in change, forgot to grab the bag on the way out of the car, and that's why we're finding the bags in the passenger seat. I haven't seen any images that show a receipt in the bag or mentioned in the case file. So let's say that the person who's driving Logan's car is ditching it on purpose and the brown bag and money belong to them. I'm not saying that this individual is smart or dumb either way, but why would you ditch a car in a manner that's drawing more attention towards you if you're trying to get away with something? And why leave the cash behind? That makes zero sense if you're trying to stage a scene. And this is why I don't believe that it was Logan who fled the scene. I believe the brown paper bag Money and granola bars belong to whoever is responsible for Logan's disappearance. I would love to know if we would be able to get prints or DNA off the wrappers or Swisser Sweets. So, where are the items inside the car today? Mary Ware told me Ginny had put all the items into a bag and set them aside in her garage. When I asked Ginny about this, she confirmed that she did put the items aside. But, through the years, the items have somehow disappeared and may have been tossed into the trash. Let's say we commit to the idea that Logan's disappearance is based on foul play. With that being said, is it possible that there was more than one person involved? Well, a separate eyewitness account that was shared with law enforcement throws a wrench into that storyline. A woman by the name of Julie claims to have seen Logan's car, but not the day it was reported drifting across I-5. She saw it on Thursday, May 19th. Well, in the very beginning, I um, I saw somebody driving Logan's car, um, getting onto I-5 southbound on-ramp. That was back in May of 2016, and I uh, I kind of didn't say anything at first, and then um, because I wasn't really sure, I saw it was it wasn't Logan driving; it was a white guy, and I didn't really think anything about it at the time I saw it. But then I saw on his page, his uh, Facebook page, that they wanted people to come forward that had any information. And I recognized the car that they had posted a picture of on that page. So I got a hold of them and, and told them what I saw. And they suggested I contact the police. So I called the police department. Julie stated that she spotted Logan's car on her way home from work a day prior to his car drifting onto I-5. But it wasn't Logan driving the vehicle. Here's part of the interview between Julie and Detective Frawley. Yes. Okay, today you came to the sheriff's office, correct? Talk to me? Yes. Is that correct? Can you kind of tell me why you came in here today? I came in here because I uh, saw a car that I believed to be Logan Schindelman's car, and I saw it about the time he disappeared. Okay. Um, on my way home from work, I was driving over uh, Tumwater Boulevard and came to the light. And there came to the light where? On Tumwater Boulevard yeah. at um, the freeway entrances, the okay. southbound and northbound entrance to I-5. ramps to I-5. Okay. And uh, I saw a black convertible and with a male driving it. It was parked at the light in front of me. Um, it was on my left side. It was coming towards me. I was we were getting ready to cross, and it was getting ready to go on to I-5 southbound. 
and um, so the vehicle's on your left hand side. It's on my left hand side. Okay. Both our windows were down. I saw a male in it, probably mid twenties, um, maybe late twenties, in a white T-shirt. He was getting ready to turn on to southbound I five on the ramp. He looked dirty. I thought I remember thinking that he was a mechanic. Um, I saw a piece of orange hair up on the left side of his up by his forehead. Uh, it looked like it was glowing in the sun, just a piece. So, so if he's sitting on your left and it, the hair's on the left, did he look towards you or something that you caught? No, he was actually looking at the the dash, okay. and his mouth was turned down. It was I thought it was an ugly mouth, okay. and it was turned down. It reminded me of an anguish mask. Okay, you know, kind of turned down, and he was looking at the dash. And what caught your eye that day? Well, the car. Um, the car. The um, I wrecked my convertible on I-5 and uh, I've been kind of looking at convertibles and I noticed them and I saw the convertible. I also noticed... Um, looking to him about the car when you saw it. I liked, I liked the shape of the car. That's, I think, why I noticed it was black and I liked the shape of it. So it was black? Um, it was black. Okay. And... Um, was the convertible up or down? The top, top was up. Okay. The top was up. The windows were down. Um, the person in it looked too small to be in it. I mean, he looked like he was swallowed up by the car. I remember okay. thinking that. And also that at first I thought maybe he was a mechanic because I thought he looked dirty, like greasy. Um, but then I thought maybe he was too young. So what, it made, what was it that made you thought he was greasy? What markings or was it, did you see grease or what was it that made you think that? I just thought he was dirty. And I, I don't know. I think that just gave me, I just remember thinking he was maybe a mechanic. I don't know my thought process now. Okay. So you he's know. wearing a t-shirt. He was wearing a white t-shirt. Did you see marks on the t-shirt? I did not. I think did maybe his arms were, his arm? I think maybe his arms were dirty. His face, um, possible facial hair, like short or something, but it was. Did you maybe see, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but did you maybe see maybe tattoos that you can say that, that maybe looked like grease from the first glimpse or did you see actual dirt and grease? Yeah, no, I didn't see dirt or grease. I, they could have possibly been tattoos. Like I said before, I thought they might possibly be, have been tattoos, but I'm not positive. So like um, a I just remember worth of tattoos or just a sporadic amount just of tattoos? A, just, no, it wouldn't have been a sleeve. It would have been, no. Just sporadic? Yeah. I mean, it, had, it had to have been on the outer side because I, you know, if I'd have seen it, because the arm was up on, he was holding the steering wheel. It wasn't like on the window or anything. But again, he's sitting on your left and you're mm -hmm. able to see all this from you because mm -hmm. you got to look through the car to him. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If Julia is right and it was Logan's car, who's the white male and where's Logan? When she spotted Logan's car, she states that she thinks the time was around 3.45 but is not 100% sure. If that didn't make things complicated enough, another woman said she also saw Logan's car on Thursday. Hi, this is James. Yes, it is. Hi, how are you? Go ahead and tell me uh, what you remember uh, about your testimony when calling in about seeing the three different males. I would commute from Tumwater to Longview every day for work. And so on my commute, obviously, I had southbound. Well, on my way to work, that particular day, I would say, I was noticing just a, you know, black car sitting off onto the median side, the west side of the freeway heading southbound. And just noticed a parked car there, no people around it at that point, but it was a black Chevy Sebring, or I mean, sorry, Chrysler Sebring. And, um, it was just sitting there on the side of the road, you know, empty, dead, nothing going on around it. 
So broke down vehicle, you know, that's about it. Sharon shared this information with Detective Frawley. Can you recall more or less what day that was? It was, I want to say it was May 19th. Okay, Friday. of last year. Yes, sir. And I'm looking at May 19th was Thursday of last year. Does that make sense to you? Or? It was a Friday, so it would have, uh, Thursday, excuse me, Thursday. It the was 19th. Thursday. Yes. Okay. Yes. What caught your eye about that vehicle? Um, just, I was driving southbound mm -hmm. uh, on I 5, and I was in the right lane, and I noticed as I'm coming down the hill to Maytown exit, mm -hmm. I noticed a black convertible Sebring mm -hmm. just parked on the shoulder, the right hand shoulder, mm -hmm. um, just sitting there vacant. Nobody around it, no lights on, no anything. It was just so no four way flasher? Nothing. I had to slow down a little bit so I could obviously I could get a very good look at what type of car it was, color, all that kind of stuff. Now did you happen to remember what time that is more or less? What time yeah, it's around seven thirty five in the morning. Seven thirty five in the morning. Yes. Yeah, I'm usually passing there about that time. And nobody around it? Nothing. There was nobody. Did you call it into nine one one or anything if there was a vehicle on the road? No, I did not. And then what happened later? So I go to work and then on my way back home that day, um, I'm driving northbound, noticing that now at the same location, and I have a very good visual of that same car again, it's still parked there. However, this time there are three people around the vehicle. Was it in the same spot more or yes, less, you think? Yes, same spot. Same spot. Okay. Same spot, but this time the hood was up and there was a white gentleman standing at the very front of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. There was another white gentleman um, on the driver's side of the vehicle walking, mm -hmm. and he was facing east, I-5, so you could literally get a really good look at him. And then at the back of the vehicle, at the trunk area, but the trunk was not open, was a African-American male. Okay. And uh, basically I witnessed the gentleman at the front of the vehicle I'm not moving super slow, but I'm not speeding, so I have time to get a decent look at everybody. Um, the gentleman at the front of the vehicle was wearing a flannel-type shirt and jeans, and he had mm, shoulder-length, light brownish-blonde hair. He, Out of all three of them, he would have been the one I did not get the best look at. Okay. He was facing northbound, so from my view to the side and back. Mm -hmm. um, and then, however, the gentleman that was facing eastbound on the driver's side, he had kind of a bowl-cut hairdo, mm -hmm. um, super thin blonde hair, and straight, very straight hair. Okay. He was very thin. I'd say he was probably, both gentlemen were probably close to six feet tall. The gentleman facing eastbound, uh, he was wearing jeans that were high waters very tight, light blue denim, and a tank top that looked like it was too small for him as well. Um, his midriff was showing, and he was basically just walking and talking to one of the men. Mm -hmm. And and then at the back of, back of the vehicle was an African-American male, young, mm -hmm. I would say high school age, uh, short black curly hair, and probably 5'10", 5'11", if that. And he was standing at the back of the vehicle, looked like he was addressing the gentleman facing eastbound. Mm -hmm. um, he did not look panicked. He did not look uh, worried. Um, he, he seemed a little 
seen, he had a kind of a grimacing look on his face, and I don't know if it was because the vehicle's broke down or what the stressors were, but he did not look like he was needing help mm-hmm. in the sense of being held with. Do you remember what he was clad in? He was he was wearing um, a light colored shirt, and pants were I want to say kind of a a khaki colored gray gray khaki, not blue jeans at all, and um, no coat or anything, just you know normal clothes. And it was nice out that day. So, mm-hmm. and and on my drive home, I'm usually in that area around quarter to six in the evening. But the car was in the same spot, hadn't moved, the hood was up. No flashers on, no doors open. Okay, anything else you remember? Um, there were no other... I, th- I found it strange that even though the three men were there at the same time, there were no other vehicles parked in front of the vehicle or behind the vehicle mm-hmm. or down on the off-ramp area, nothing. Now, there's a sketch that's been passed around referring to one of the individuals that was spotted with Logan's car. Between Julie and Sharon... Who gave the description of the sketch? The infamous sketch of the individual that was possibly seen. There's another individual who said that they saw another male driving Logan's car the same day. But from my understanding, yeah, my understanding is that you're the one who provided the description for the sketch artist. Yes. And when you look at that sketch, do you feel confident in, or does that? Do you feel like that's like a a good picture of him? Yes. So, what do you guys think so far? Do you feel Logan vanishing is because he left on his own accord? Do you think it could have been someone helping him? Do you think Carlos's testimony is accurate? Does someone really jump out of the passenger side door and run into the woods? When residents on Pollen Road say they've never dealt with someone as the couple did in all the years of living there, is it just coincidence that it happened the night Logan disappeared? Or did this half-dressed male have something to do with it? I've seen some threads where people are asking if Logan was dealing with schizophrenia. After looking at his web browser history, app usage, texts, calls, and notes to himself, I strongly believe that he was not. Ginny and the family, minus Chloe and Hannah, have ever discussed the possibility or shared apparent signs of it. And as for what Julie and Sharon shared in today's episode, I need to find a way to determine whose testimony is actually linked to Logan's car. Or... Did they in good faith come forward with accurate information, but it's not linked to Logan at all? And I think I have just the way to figure it out. Next time on Hide and Seek. Yo. Hey, you're, you're, you're on uh, record right now. Okay. So what did you, you got text messages about a guy riding a bike and what did he say? So I'm getting text messages from a friend of mine uh, that says his, uh, one of, somebody that works for him saw an individual riding a bike down the road today and he was, and overheard him on the phone with somebody saying how he knew where that Logan kid from Tumwater is then went missing on the freeway down here a few years ago and apparently he knows all about it really yeah and you can you can get me you think you can get me his contact info 
I'm working on it. Okay. I guess it's like they say, if you shake the tree hard enough, 